Today's episode of the Hot 4 podcast is proudly sponsored by Lalaman Brewing. Lal Brew Nova Lager is an innovative new hybrid lager yeast strain from Lalaman Brewing. Belonging to the newly created Group 3 lager yeast category, Nova Lager exhibits increased temperature tolerance for faster and more forgiving fermentations. Produced using a non-GMO yeast breeding technique, Lal Brew Nova Lager incorporates a patented technology which prevents the creation of hydrogen sulfide which can lead to sulfurous off flavours in the final beer. Additionally, Lal Brew Nova Lager produces a reduced level of diacetyl allowing for shortened storage times post-fermentation. Visit lalamanbrewing.com and get in touch with your local representative for more details. Lalaman Brewing, we brew with you. I'm Nick Law and you're listening to the Hot Forward Podcast, getting you ahead in the brewing and beer business. Hot Forward is a show entirely dedicated to the craft beer industry, featuring interviews, discussions and stories from the whole supply chain from grain to glass. So grab yourself a beer and get ready to hop forward in the brewing and beer business. Hello friends and welcome to another sesh on the Hot 4 podcast. This week we're going off piste and delving into the world of cider. Yeah, I know, steady on. But cider is something that has fascinated me for some time. Every year in late summer, my family and I take a trip to a small village in rural England called Barnock. This idyllic little village where my relatives live is home to scores of apple trees lining the roads and in people's gardens. The vicarage has an orchard that has masses of fruit that goes unharvested every year. It seems sinful to me. Won't somebody please think of the fermentation? Anyway, I don't know if it's the warm countryside smell or the fact that I get to step away from work for a while, but at harvest time every year, I think to myself, I should really buy an apple press and start making cider. Cider, as you'll hear in today's discussion, often provokes a lot of negative images of white-headed bold men drinking strongbow and fighting. Well, it does for me, but perhaps that's because I come from near Barnsley. Whatever picture cider conjures up, fermented apples definitely have an image problem. And this week, we're meeting a man who is on a mission to challenge that. I recently took myself off to meet Mike Pomrans from the Cider Hole in Sheffield, an American from Philadelphia who moved to the UK with his partner and now makes cider, some of which is produced using apples from gardens across the Steel City. If you've ever had the pleasure of meeting Mike, he's a larger-than-life character with an incredible amount of knowledge about fermented beverages, a sharp sense of humour, and a phenomenal beard and East Coast accent. One thing to note, well, two actually, some of the sound levels in this episode get a little bit on the fuzzy side, so apologies for the bits of distortion, I've done my best to edit them. Secondly, Mike F's Jeff's a fair bit, which is cool with me, but if you're listening with your kids in the car or have sensitive ears, well, let's just say you've been warned. Anyway, before we crack open today's discussion on all things cider with Mike Pomeranz from the Cider Hole, just a quick reminder that next week is Seba Beer X at Liverpool Exhibition Centre, the UK's biggest brewery and brewing trade show. 
I'll be taking part in two seminars, the first being an interactive session with hop experts Charles Farham and a panel of brewers to walk us through how we can utilise Charles Farham brand varieties in new and existing highly flavoured bold and modern beer and British lager styles, which apparently I'm hosting according to the BeerX website, which was news to me. This session will give a first-hand point of view of how brewers have come to favour using British hops whilst tasting the beers, asking questions and sampling some of the hop varieties from their hop development programme. And as part of that, this gets even more exciting, you'll get to try Emmanuel's All British Hops IPA, England's Green and Pleasant Land, amongst many other fine beers using hops native to the UK. So don't miss that at 1.45 on Wednesday on the Hop Yard stage. And secondly, as if that wasn't enough, I'll be running a seminar called How to Invest in Your Marketing When Money is Tight on the steep stage at 4.15 on Thursday. I've just finished putting this seminar together and seeing as the CBA Independent Brewer magazine referred to me as a quote-unquote branding and marketing guru, much to the delight and piss-taking of my children, this isn't a session you're going to want to miss. So all that's happening next week at CBA BRX. I can't wait to see you there and share some beers with you. Right, go and grab a cider. And before we crack open this week's topic, here's a little bit more about Hop Forward and a word from our sponsor. This show is only made possible by our supplier sponsors who support this podcast on a regular basis and offer support and insights to all our listeners within the craft beer industry, whatever your need. Today's episode of the Hop 4 podcast is proudly sponsored by Lalaman Brewing. Lal Brew Nova Lager is an innovative new hybrid lager yeast strain from Lalaman Brewing. Belonging to the newly created Group 3 lager yeast category, Nova Lager exhibits increased temperature tolerance for faster and more forgiving fermentations. Produced using a non-GMO yeast breeding technique, Lal Brew Nova Lager incorporates a paint-sensored technology which prevents the creation of hydrogen sulfide which can lead to sulfurous off flavours in the final beer. Additionally, Lal Brew Nova Lager produces a reduced level of diacetyl allowing for shortened storage times post-fermentation. Visit lalamanbrewing.com and get in touch with your local representative for more details. Lalaman Brewing, we brew with you. Thanks for tuning into the podcast. You can find out more about Hop Forward and the work we do within the industry at our website, hopforward.beer, or follow us on social media at hopforwardbeers. And if you really wanted to go the extra mile, you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify with what you think about this podcast. For now, let's crack open this week's discussion. I'm here in the cider hole with Mike Pomeranz. I can confirm that, that's a fact. <laughs> there you go. Now, you're, you're not from around these parts. Uh, I am now, I'm well, dual, dual citizen hey, as of last week. So yes. the last podcast I was on, I couldn't, I couldn't, uh, couldn't say that, but I got my citizenship. Been here, uh, yeah, six and a half years now, so dual citizen, but I, um, and I've been in Sheffield the entire time, but I moved here from the United States, right. uh, from Brooklyn. Which I always say is why I'm so fucking cool. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Brooklyn would disagree with me. <laughs> um, by Brooklyn standards, are you somewhere in the middle or? <laughs> uh, beard wise, yes. <laughs> there's like, you know, a hipster and the Hasidic, and then there's me on the, uh, somewhere in that, yeah. in that realm. What brought you to the UK? Right, I hate America. This, I mean, this, <laughs> this podcast <laughs> available in America. Uh, About half an hour listening to the ship is from America. <laughs> 
Um, no, I mean, I was just, to be honest, I was kind of getting tired of the way things were headed in America. Um, my wife is from the UK, from here in Sheffield, and we'd always talked about um, May wanting to live abroad, I'd want to live abroad, she still has some family here. Um, and so it just kind of came to me in a bit of a vision. I'm like, let's get the fuck out of America, let's get to England. Uh, we talked about moving maybe down to London. Um, she's from, my, my partner's from Sheffield. Um, and we talked about May moving to London, it makes sense from Brooklyn, but you know, we just had a kid. We were sick of paying, you know, $2,500 a month in rent. <laughs> yeah. uh, so we came to came to Sheffield, and it's been great. I mean, we visit a lot, because since my wife's from here. Right. And I mean, one of the things, you know, to fit the, the, the angle of the podcast, I, Sheffield's a great beer city, great pub city. I definitely was, like, attracted to um, how good the beer scene was here. I remember, you know, visiting Fat Cat back when it was still felt like, you know, a revelation, getting, um, you know, drinking... Uh, Pale Rider yep. and drinks like that, Easy Rider, buying you know 500 mLs and bringing them back to the states. Uh, I remember when Kipling from Thornbridge. I mean, it feels like a lifetime ago. Was that was the best beer on earth uh, for a brief yeah. moment there? Yeah, absolutely. I a story, a funny story about that is my my local uh, Mission Dolores, rest in peace because of pandemic. But in, this is back in Brooklyn. I remember they had one cask line. They eventually had to pull it out because so few people drank the cask. You know, having traveled to Sheffield, I um. Uh, you know, I knew you know, well about all the cast situation. And they got a cask of Kipling in there one time, all the way in Brooklyn. And I, I literally, it was my local, I still fucking took a cab there. <laughs> I'm like, I get there ASAP, let's do this, let's get there. Uh, I mean, it was like, yeah, it was a 12 minute walk or a two minute cab ride and I couldn't wait. When I saw it on their menu, I'm like, that might not last long. I think I was the only one who drank it to be fair. But right. So yeah, you know, having all that connection to this city and loving all the beers here. And I mean, there's still, you know, great, and, you know, it's not just me. You get people like, you know, I think continuing that tradition like St. Mars the Desert. You yeah, got Dan oh, and Martha yeah, yeah. coming from America realizing that quality. Sheffield. Yeah, just realizing that Sheffield's just a great place to, to be involved in the drink scene. Yep. Especially now, now more than ever. I mean, it's one of those things, the more things change, the more they stay the same sort of situation. Like, it's a different city than it was back then. Yeah. Um, but there's just all these new people taking the reins, you know, such as me. Yeah, there you go. Well, like, <laughs> Trying to do my part to contribute to the city I now love. Well, let, let, let's talk about the cider hole. So yes. th this is a bit of a, uh, a curveball for the Hot Four podcast, which all of us is going to know that it's, it's beer and brewing industry related. But right. We're, we're, we're talking... I mean, I, I'd, I'd like to immediately push back on that oh, a yeah, bit because um, obviously, you know, I, I love, as you can already tell, you know, I love beer. Um, and I actually come from a beer writing background. Oh, really? I, I would consider myself a beer expert, but not a cider expert. Right. Um, I'm a certified cider professional. Uh, I am I, at, the, at, at my peak. You know, I've been away from the states for um, for almost seven years now. But at my peak, I would consider myself one of the top cider writers um, in the U.S. Right. But so I was you're just writing for people like Good Beer Hunting and. Uh, I was primarily employed by Food and Wine magazine, right, okay. but I'd, I've written for basically everyone right, yeah, from yeah. like um, you know. Websites like Eater to like you know I, I had an article in, about light beer in Time magazine. Right. So, wow. Okay. Um, yes, yeah, so I've covered it. Uh, covered kind of the whole gamut of it. But um, so yeah, I would say that like um, you know coming from that background, like I I am more of a beer expert than a cider expert. You know, I'm still very cider curious myself, and I think mm. that's why I continue this journey to continue to learn more. Um, when it comes to cider making, I'm not professionally trained at all. I could probably tell you more. Um, uh, of the technical side of brewing than cider making, but right. also it's more of a technical process. Anyways, the whole point of that is, you know, I, I stepped into cider um, from, the, from the beer side. Um, and that's one of the things about the cider hole, about my cider making process, about all of this, um, is I always say my best customers aren't, um, 
aren't necessarily cider lovers, they're cider curious like I am. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm here to kind of expose um, what I consider the synergy between all alcoholic beverages. Um, and I think that's one thing that often gets, gets overlooked. People tend to, for some reason, we've been taught to compartmentalize different beverages. Mm. Um, you know, for instance, something like, a lot of people don't even consider the fact that like whiskey is just distilled beer. <laughs> you know, it's like <laughs> yeah. very, something very simple. You know, you, you know there's a similarity there, but like the pro, I, I don't know what it is, but people have kind of, it's, well, it's a lot of things in life. You know, over time, we've lost connection with the processes behind these things um, and have kind of, I, I think that, losing, harming our understanding of the basic nature of these things um, makes it hard for us to kind of draw the sensible connections we should be making between beverages. Um, and so, you know, I think digging into cider and, and connecting it back to beer, um, which is actually harder to do than you might think, which I'm sure we'll probably get into, um, that's kind of my goal. It's like, how do, how do we see how these, how do we not separate these things apart? How do we see how they, how they fit together again? You know? I love that. I love how you push back with that answer. That's amazing. <laughs> I mean, so, so tell us a little bit about the cider hole and setting it up and just, just describe the location we're in just for the benefit of the listeners. Right, so we're in the shittiest location in all of Sheffield. <laughs> um, I, I am the only person who decided to open a, uh, a bar on the first floor of what essentially looks like an office building. Um, I don't know how anyone who finds this place. Um, we have no foot traffic. <laughs> so yeah, we're in Crinkle, um, which is a building built out of shipping containers um, in Sheffield, and we're kind of on the ring roads. So we're just outside of um, the city center in the Kellum, I, I call it the greater Kellum area. Greater no one, Kellum. No one likes to buy into that, you know, but. I, I used to be in the state Haitian for my sins, and we used to sell houses sort of uh, Lodgemore, Fullwood way. And the people that lived in Lodgemore used to call it Upper Fullwood. <laughs> right, yes, exactly. You're always trying. I mean, people are constantly trying to broaden what, what Kellum is, and it's we're not on the island. Yeah. Very few things are. <laughs> um, because it is Kellum Island, for those who don't know. But yeah, so we're kind of on the edge here. You know, my, my whole idea originally, uh, I mean, if we want to get into it, I'll go through as quickly as possible. So I had this vision of, you know, we're right, you can see Shalesmore from where we are, kind of on their side of the ring road. I think technically this is still might even be Shalesmore. And Shalesmore is kind of the, one of the last, you know, um, bastions of proper old rundown buildings inside the ring road, kind yeah, of yeah. in the city proper. And I had this, there's kind of these old crooked roads there. And I had this vision of like, moving into an old brick building with like no known sign on the door and you open up and you're like, the fuck is going on there? It's me like, hey, come on in, drink my cider. And like, there's some crazy American dude selling cider in there. That was my vision. Um, unfortunately, with Shalesworth, because, and you can see, there's just endless construction happening mm -hmm. there. And, and a lot of these old buildings I found, they're either occupied or they're not letting them be let out because they want them to be bought out and, and, yeah, yeah. and turned into construction. So... This was, I saw this place, I'm like, well, because I already had the name, the cider hole in mind of like kind of this hole in the wall cidery. And I'm like, well, the cider hole, you know, this is kind of, you know, the shipping container is kind of like a hole. Um, and to be fair, at that point, I was just a bit desperate because um, uh, one of the big differences between cider and beer is cider is seasonal. Apple season comes but once yes. a year. Yep. Um, if I wasn't set up to produce cider um, by uh, August and September, I was, I was gonna miss the season and I'd already promised people cider. So uh, I just kind of jumped at this because it was, it was close enough to the vision um, and uh, I, I, it, it did the trick. So, um, but yes, we're, we're at the end of this term of this lease. Um, it's not getting renewed, we're moving to a different location in city center, but that's a different story. Amazing, and, you, and do you make the cider here on site? Right, so if you can imagine a shipping container, um, it is long and it is narrow. Um, we 
by the door, we took a, um, literally, it is a shower, uh, shower bed, and it was custom fitted um, to kind of a metal grate on top right. of it, and that is our cider production area. Um, we bring the apples in here, try and store them wherever we can find room um, before they get crushed in the apple crusher, which is uh, doubles the rest of the year as the record stand. Uh, so we play exclusively vinyl records here, and um, yes, the record crusher is the world's most expensive record stand right now. Uh, it then goes into the 40-liter uh, hydro press, which is, you can see kind of yep. by the door, is a, is a giant steel cylinder. Uh, hydro presses are awesome. They run entirely off water power, so they're not electrical at all. Um, the water can then the water doesn't actually mix with anything, so it can be salvaged afterwards and used for other things. Um, I wouldn't necessarily drink it, but you probably could even drink it. Um, and then that goes right into the fermenters. We have three 200 liters fermenters, which when um, not that when full rest on top of the shower basin production area to save space. Right. So filling the third one is always a bit of a <laughs> of a tricky, a bit tricky because once that's full, you're not producing a cider anymore because you've taken up all the production space. So, so just talk through the cider yeah. making process because I I know nothing. Right. <laughs> yes. Not getting that's fine. Well, we we sell um, two jumpers here, and one of them I was joking. I, I printed my recipe on, and it says, if you can read it from here, it says uh, apples. Sorry, apple juice plus time equals alcohol. <laughs> And to be fair, that's literally the recipe. Um, <laughs> the thing is, like, um, any lots of things will automatic will ferment uh, on their own, regardless of what you do. If you juice an apple and put, if you leave the cup in your kitchen for too long, um, I mean, most grocery store juices are going to be pasteurized or have chemicals in them to prevent fermentation. Yeah, yeah. So that your five-year-old doesn't get hammered off his apple juice. Um, but uh, if you just juice an apple, put it on your table. It will eventually ferment into something, cider, technically it's not going to ferment mm. into anything else really, and eventually vinegar after that. Um, but, so there's really not much you have to do. Right. Um, we, before, when, when I offered you a drink when you came in the door, um, this is our second year producing cider here, and, and we have one of them is 100% Sheffield Garden Apples. Uh, is that this one? That's this one, right, the one you're okay. drinking right now. 100% Sheffield Garden Apples collected from about 15 different residences around the city. Uh, apples that would have otherwise gone to waste. Um, when you're collecting apples uh, from residences, usually these people, um, if, if they're eater apples, uh, they'll usually eat them yeah. or give them to friends. But if they're cookers, if they're you know if they didn't even want a tree, if it just was growing on their property, right? They tend to be these kind of cookers and Bramleys, which are really tart uh, and don't really have a lot of use. So you can only make so many whatever apple crumbles with them. <laughs> um, but I take that. You know, we we crush them and juice them here in the cider hole. And then literally I put them into the 20 liter fermenter um, and I didn't do anything. I left it open for about five hours mm -hmm. and then closed it up with a um, airlock and just let it naturally from spontaneously ferment on its own. Um, and as you can tell drinking it, you know, I, I think this is probably of the, of the ciders I've made here, which is now I've made about eight different ciders. Uh, this could be my favorite. Um, it's lovely. It's completely, it's shockingly clean for um, spontaneous ferment, which just again shows you don't really have to do anything, you know? Yeah, I mean. Uh, I, I didn't try to do anything special to make this ferment cleanly. It, it's very clean on the nose and it's even cleaner on the finish. You get a little bit of that kind of, um, I mean, it's, yeah, the nose is just a touch of kind of made those sort of, you know, off flavors you might get it from a spontaneous ferment, but, but nothing too shocking. No, I mean, you, you won't be able to tell. No. You know, and, and we, then it, it drinks like a, well, you, I mean, you can tell well, your thoughts it's, on it's, it. It's so 
it's so crisp. Yes. Um, and you, you get some of that acidity, slight acidity and tartness at the end. Um, but I mean, it, it reminds me more than anything else. So right now it's a bit sparkling because since I've capped it, some of the CO2 mm. has been going back in. Yep. But when it was completely flat, uh, it reminded me more of, of a Sauvignon Blanc than anything else. Yeah, it's got that. Because that's kind of that like that like lime sort of undertone through the tartness of it, and it just finishes so clean. It's just like I said. So this is why I've, I'm, I've named it the uh, Cote de Hole with the little. Accent on the end of the E for you know, cider holes because it's so wine-like. I, it, I, it really is that. Yeah, right at the end. I, I feel yeah, like you, if you put it into a wine bottle without a label and hand it to someone, I don't think they could. I think they just assume it was a natural wine or some sort of yeah, wine. Yeah, really. you, you, you really would. I mean, it's, it's forty pounds a bottle. It's going to be. The, <laughs> the most incredible thing is as well. It's like just to know that that came from Sheffield. Yes. People's gardens. It's just, I look, I mean. Well, and this is the whole ethos behind um, the cider hole, and the cider brand's called Exemption Cider House because we use a, an exemption license, which anyone in, in the UK can apply for. It allows you to produce up to 700 liters of cider um, without a formal license and without paying any tax on it commercially. And um, if you just think that I literally just grabbed a bunch of, it's, it's no different from scrumping. Like I asked permission from people, yeah, yeah. I found them on social media, or people came to me because I knew the cider and, and donated them. I just took random apples. I did fucking nothing. I mean, I say nothing. Um, so last year, I was worried when you when you spontaneously ferment, you're working with ambient yeast, right? People, there's a lot of these uh, the misconception that it's the yeast on the apple peels or in the apple themselves that's causing the fermentation. The, those yeast, in general, uh, from my knowledge, uh, don't really have what it takes to kick off an actual ferment. Um, right. Most of the, the yeast that, uh, that cause fermentation are, are the ones ambient in the air. Um, this unit, before I took it over, was a co-working office space. Right. And I don't know what sort of fucking freaks are working in <laughs> a co-working, <laughs> co-working office space. So um, the first year in here, um, so everything I make is, is wild yeast fermented. I, I don't like working with commercial yeast. The worst ciders I've ever made in my life. Uh, was working with champagne yeast. I right. fucking don't fuck with that shit no more. <laughs> um, what I did, however, since I wasn't sure what ambient yeast were here, I took um, wild yeast uh, from a, um, a homemade batch and then pitched that into all the fermenters for last year's batches. Um, this year, knowing that those that yeast you know was blowing off with all the CO2 and all that, I felt reasonably comfortable that this unit was now full of, of, of good wild yeast. And so that's why I let two of the three um, completely spontaneously ferment, and the results were incredible. It's obviously. almost like your own like Flanders microclimate. In I, I know. I always say, oh, this place is full of my yeast. It's great. It's a bit creepy, but Maybe uh... you should take the other t-shirt. <laughs> so yeah, as if we aren't scaring people away from the cider hole enough already. Full, uh, of, full of my yeast uh... quality. Yeah. So like with, with your beer writing background, because obviously you're very knowledgeable on the whole sort of mental beverage thing. Like, what? Why do you think cider doesn't quite have the same volume? drinkers and, and even you know um reputation maybe even that craft beer has right um you know it, 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 some might argue that it still suffers from a bit of a cultural perception maybe in the same way like you know camera and real ale did or still do in some circles right um side it, it doesn't quite feel like it it's quite made that crossover in the way that craft beer has and I'm, right I mean, let's just, for a bit of a history lesson, I mean, you go back 40 years and craft beer was, beer, no, sorry, not craft beer, beer had a horrible perception. Mm. You know, it's like fucking people were drinking, 
You know, people used, it's not that long ago, and I can't speak to what was happening in the UK at the time. I'm sure it was somewhat similar. Yeah. This is why camera developed. But people used to pride themselves on whether they drank Budweiser or Miller. You know, oh, yeah, it's yeah. like, I'm sure here it was like Carling or whatever the opposite yeah. of Carling was at the time. It's like, oh, you're a, you're a Bush drinker. I'm a fucking Pabst Blue Ribbon drinker. We're, we're mortal enemies and your tastes are horrible, you know? And you, you go back now and they taste identical. I mean, I'm, I'd probably lean towards Bush, but... <laughs> um, you know, it's like, there was this... It was, it was crap. And it, it didn't come from nowhere, you know? It's like, you, you go back, you look at, you know, Michael Jackson, you know, one of the most renowned beer writers and mm -hmm. basically... There were no beer categories before Michael Jackson literally wrote the book on categorizing beer um, in, you know, what was that must have been like 1980 around then. So, you know, this has come a long way from nothing. Now, how do we translate like, over the cider? Well, you know, cider has still um, struggled from, you know, it hasn't made, made that push. Um, I think it's because your typical cider drinker is, is drinking cider um, for the things that... that that is people that is problematic with cider for the sweetness, yeah. uh, for the fruitiness. Um, your typical cider drinker is someone who doesn't like other beverages like beer or wine or whiskey or something like that. So they, they like it for the accessibility. Um, and so just like beer used to be built for accessibility, cider is, is still built for accessibility. Um, the other thing is, you know, cider spent a lot of time, at least in the States, and a bit here too. It's not as prominent here as being programmed as a counterpoint to beer, right? One of the, the one of the reasons I was dragged into cider writing initially is again, I'm speaking from my experience in the States. Mm. I, I know a little about the UK cider culture. I'm happy to talk about that too, but I'm just gonna talk about what got, yeah, yeah, me, yeah, go got me to this point, which is beer and cider lumped together because they are both um, yellow, they're both fizzy, and they both come in around 5% ABV, right? Um, but the truth is that the process between making cider and making beer are completely different. Uh, one of my big pet peeves is when people talk about brewing cider. You don't, you don't brew cider. Brewing is a process of extracting uh, compounds through, you know, through heat. Yep. So um, you brew a cup of tea, you, know, you brew with beer, you brew the grains to extract the sugars that you then ferment. Um, I always say with, with, with cider making, you just squeeze an apple. You can squeeze tea leaves, <laughs> yeah. as long as you want, you're never gonna get a fucking cup of tea without water. You know, with, with apple, with cider, you don't need to add any water. It's automatically, the water is inherent in the fruit. Mm. So cider making in that regard is a lot like wine making. You don't brew wine, um, you just, you juice the, the fruit and then you ferment it. Um, and the thing is when you do, when you, when you make a beer of 5%, you're programming it based on how much extraction you're doing from, you know, with the, from the malts, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, with cider, you know, keeping cider at 5% ABV like you would a lager is, is really forcing cider somewhere it doesn't necessarily want to go. Mm. You know, if you, if you take most apples, juice them, and let them ferment all the way dry, like a beer is, most beers are fermented all the way dry, you're gonna get to six, seven, even 8%, right? So uh, cider has not been, cider has is, is kind of been, um, What's what's the way? It's been dressed up in, in different clothing, you know. Yep. Um, and so what I'm trying to do here is is take people out of that notion of of what cider has been dressed up to be and, and what it really can be and is. Um, I started writing about cider because I had an editor who said, "Mike, we need someone to write about cider. Beer and cider are the same thing. You go write about it, you know." <laughs> and that's how I learned to know beer and cider are not at all the same thing. Yep. 
And once you follow that path of, of cider being more like winemaking, the, the first really interesting question that evolves is, if, if cider is more like winemaking, why does cider not get those comparisons to wine? Mm. And it's because the process, like I said, the process has, has forced it to kind of fit in the beer category. And so well, what, what are we missing by not, what can be done if we make it more like wine? And this is, this is the kind of artisan path I'm following down. It's like, what, what happens when you respect the fruit, respect the process, respect the artisan makers uh, to, to let you know, apples uh, and pears and occasionally quince uh, all the three palms really kind of um, come into their own as, as what they can be. The same thing of like how, you know, we've, we've let, you know, wine, you know, used to, people used to like sweet wine and, you know, white Zinfandel, mm. and now people are happy to drink all sorts of crazy wine. You know, it's even wine's come a long way. Yeah, so I probably know the answer to this question on one level because it would be no different in beer. Um, but like, and I think it's, it, it, this ties in with, the, with this um, Sheffield's apple fermented cider. But how, how does the terroir of an apple and the land affects the, the flavour of it? Right. Because I always used to be amazed with beer before I knew anything about it. It was like, you know, you'd read the label like, you know, malted barley, hops, water and yeast. I'm like, how on earth do you get all these different flavours out of these four things? Right, right, yeah. <laughs> Whereas you've got one, essentially one fruit <coughs> for, for an apple cider. Like, how, how do you get those different flavours and stuff? Right, so I think one, people, uh, one thing people don't realise about cider is... Um, and people tend, again, the kind of homogenization of the way we see the world. People don't realize that all fruits have cultivars, have mm. varieties, you know? It's like, one of the things I love about the UK versus the US is when you buy um, you know, your blueberries at Tesco, yep. a lot of times they'll tell you not only where it's from, but what variety it is. Right. You know, and it, people just kind of think like, oh, you know, it's like I'm buying a, I was gonna say bananas. Bananas tend to only be one cultivar. But, yeah. <laughs> but if you say, oh, I'm gonna buy strawberries, they think, oh, all strawberries are the same, you know? Apples come in many, many different varieties. Um, one thing that, I, that also, often, often gets overlooked with a lot of fruit, and apples especially, um, apples are one of those fruits that if you, if you grow an apple from seed, it's not true to variety. Mm. So every time you, you plant a new apple tree from a seed, you're getting a whole new variety apple. In theory, there's infinite varieties wow, of apples okay. out there, right? Um, what, what we do instead is we, we graft apples to maintain integrity from, from one uh, to keep varieties you know, surviving. Um, and I don't know the exact number, but there, there's hundreds of cider ver apple varieties alone that continue to get grafted and used. Um, so when you are working with any apple, um, you're looking for three things. There's the sugar, uh, which adds a bit of flavor and character, but it's mostly important for fermentation because that's gonna determine your ABV. Mm. More sugar, yeast processes, more alcohol. Um, and then there's your, uh, your tart, your acidity, which determines your level of tartness. And then the one thing that gets overlooked a lot in apples, um, because most eating apples um, and wild grown apples don't have it, is tannin. Right. So you can find varieties of apple that are so tannic, you'd, you'd want to, you'd, you'll spit them out if you bite into them. And the closest thing most people can, can relate to is if you've ever bitten into a crab apple or chewed on a crab apple. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, imagine a, a full apple at that level of intensity, tannic level. And in fact, when you can't find tannic apples, crab apples are often your best bet for mm. making cider at home to add a bit of tannin. Um, but so what you do is you, you, you kind of try and you can blend, like same way you blend a wine. You know, and again, this is why um, cider is, is very similar to wine. You, you don't just make a, a you know, a, you know, 
you can do, you go buy it. When you buy a red wine these days, you'd say, oh, what blend is it, you know? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you wouldn't yeah, just be yeah. like, oh, it's a red wine, like every other red wine. Um, but more so, mostly now, we, we get single varietal, um, or there's a lot of big push, you know, you have a, mostly, oh, that's 75% Malo, that's Cabernet, you know, Sauvignon, blah, 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 with it down the line. Um, and so with cider, we're, we're getting into that territory of um, explaining on the bottle what the different varieties or apples are. But even your large commercial cideries are selecting different apples and juices and bouncing them out to get a consistent flavor from the varieties they're getting. Um, so that is how you get the basic flavor. Uh, that doesn't particularly answer your questions on terroir, which is a bit of a deeper discussion of yep. what do you think terroir, terroir is, um, which we could get into if you want to. But yeah, I'll, no, I'll give you a break no, 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 go <laughs> from hearing me just ramble on. No, I mean, one of the things we talk about, I talk about here at the Cider all the time, you know, we have a, taste, a tasting flight where you can try different, three different ciders um, by the glass or as a tasting flight at, at any time during the year, and I always switch it up. But one of the, one of the ciders we have... Um, a lot of the time here is Ross and Y. And I always talk about Ross and Y. It's a family-run orchard. Um, long story short, um, they've, they've been around forever. It's, they have their own orchard. They, they grow a wide variety of different, um, different varieties of, of apples and pears. They pick it, they bring it into their barn, they crush it in their barn, um, they juice it in their barn, they ferment it in their barn, they package it in the barn, they ship it out from their barn. And you know, oftentimes people are like, oh, this cider has a bit of a barnyard quality. I don't know. <laughs> it's like, what the fuck do you want it to have? Like that. It's in my mind. That's terroir. You know. It's like mm. it was made. If if you can't taste and, and smell the the origin of it, of, of what it was, how authentic is it really? And one of the things I always say, it's like you know, one of the differences I think about the lack of respect for cider versus wine is if you you know, with a lot of these natural funky. Funky wine. People shove their nose. Oh, I can smell the cellar. I can smell the winery. I feel like I'm. I feel like I'm back down in you know the cellars of Burgundy. I say that shit all the time. <laughs> that pretentious voice is just me, actually. Um, <laughs> but so, and but then it's like you, you shove your nose in a in a um, in a glass of cider. Like, oh, it smells like I'm you know out in the out in the orchard. It's like, well, it's fucking well, it should, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's another thing with the homogenization of modern cider. It's just like. You know, uh, I always, you, you wouldn't want a wine that smells like grapes, you know, and you don't want a cider that smells like apples. So often people are like, oh, this, this cider, it's great. It smells like drinking apple juice. Well, then go pour some fucking vodka and apple juice and drink apple juice. It's like you, the, the idea of terroir doesn't fully exist without fermentation. Mm. I mean, it does, but people never talk about it without fermentation. So if you don't expect fermentation to add character um, to your to your beverage, it's like then we're not even on the same page about what the discussion of terroir should be, you know? Yeah. What do you think the biggest challenges then are to like the? It, I hate the word craft cider in the way that I hate some craft beer, but maybe that might people can fill in the blanks as to what that means. But like, what do you think the biggest challenges are to the cider industry and to artisan cider makers like yourself? Right, I think there, this is something that's very different in the UK and the US. And having been involved in cider longer now in the UK than I have in the US, I can speak to the UK side a bit more um, than I could for other topics. Um, in the, but I'll start with the US. In the US, one of the problems is cider makes up uh, less than 1% of total alcohol beverage sales in, in the US. Right. Uh, very minimal amount of drinking. Part of the problem is that this prohibition, cider was a huge drink in, in the US uh, prior to prohibition. Um, but when prohibition lasted, oh my God, here's the question. 
how long? 12 years? 18 years? <laughs> it, it, Prohibition lasted a long time. I think it was eight. If I had to put my money, I'd say 18 years. Um, and so what happens when you have an orchard, uh, and we're talking about apple varieties earlier, mm-hmm. if you have an orchard of, of, of cider apple trees that you can't eat, you know, you're going to tear them up and start something, use that land for something else. Mm. And so all of this cider heritage was literally torn down because you can't make any, you know, cider makers, you, know, you can't turn alcohol, you can't, it's useless. Um, that's coming back a bit more, but it's a slow process. Um, and I think that's part of why it's, it's a slow mo- movement in the U.S. U.K. has a lot more of a cider culture. Um, but I always say, in some ways, I prefer the ignorance of cider culture in the um, U.S. to the prejudice against cider culture yeah. here in the U.K., which is you get so many people in here like, oh, I drank white lightning out of a two-liter bottle when <laughs> I was a teenager and I can't drink cider anymore. Or people who just think all cider is that. Some people think all cider is just fucking white lightning. It's like, do you really think I'm going to fucking make white? Think I rented out of space to fucking make white lightning? Like, give me a break. If I, if I liked white lightning, I would just go buy white lightning myself, you know? Uh, I think it's just, you know, it's, again, but people aren't good at, uh, they don't, when, again, when you've lost track of, of, of the process and the mm. fact that there is more to it than just like, you know, Strongbow and white lightning is like the two varieties of cider out there. So, but th- that prejudice is very hard to fight against because, because people, this place, um, I always say one of the biggest places I made with the cider hole is calling it the cider hole. Because there's a whole contingent of people that are scared away mm. of cider. Either they think it's a drink, um, that either they drank it when they were young and got sick on it or don't think it's any good. Or they think it's a drink for, for fucking alcoholics. And to be fair, it kind of can be. Um, if you want something strong and easy drinking, well, you know, I've never had white lightning. But I'm assuming <laughs> a, bot- a two liter bottle of white lightning you know, you, my, my wife's in the medical profession. You hear people who drink go through, you know, go through white, you know, two liter bottles of cider like soda, and it's, you know, they're fixed or whatever. So I, I get that, you know, mm-hmm. but that's not my problem, yeah, you yeah. know. Uh, I'm, I'm here to, to kind of expose that there's, there's more to it than that. So I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's about changing people's perceptions. And, and the question becomes, well, well what is going to get us over that tipping point? Um, and I think one of the major differences in, in why I think why there hasn't been a tipping point in cider quite yet like there has been in beer, besides the fact that there's, well, it, it comes down to um, there's just more, more beer drinkers to begin with, right? So I don't know what the percentage is in the um, UK, but beer tends to hover around 50% of alcohol beverage sales uh, in the US. Yep. That's a much larger pool of people to start converting um, than one percent, right? If you convert, uh, now I'm gonna have to get them, get my math done. <laughs> if you convert ten percent of beer drinkers into liking craft beer, which mm-hmm. was kind of around the tipping yeah, point, yeah, yeah. now now you've got five percent of people drinking uh, craft beer, and now you're starting to create a movement, right? If you got one hundred percent of the one percent of cider drinking is drinking craft cider, you still only have one percent, you know, mm. you, that's not a tipping point, you know, I don't know if you've read Malcolm Gladwell's yeah, book yeah. or whatever, but yeah, it takes a certain, you know, you, you have to get to like, he uses Britney Spears as an example, it's like, ten, I think he says like, you know, ten percent of people need to hear Britney Spears for it to feel like everyone's heard of Britney Spears, you know, and it's easier to get there with beer because so many people are already drinking beer. Um, and so with cider, we have this, this big uphill battle of how do we get to that, to that tipping point. And this is why I, as I said earlier, I believe, I, I don't consider my best customer to, to be a cider drinker. I consider my best customer to people, people who like interesting beverages. I think uh, that 
you know, people who like interesting beverages make up a large enough percentage of all alcoholic beverage drinkers. It's not a majority, but even if it's 20%, now I'm working with a, a larger swath of the population mm. to try and convince that, hey, don't think of this as cider. Think of this as an interesting beverage that you, that, that you want to explore. There's a lot of things we do here um, that other bars don't do for that exact reason. We only have one style glass. I serve everything uh, as you're drinking yeah, out right in now in a, yeah, in a uh, stemless wine glass or in a tumbler, however you want to call it. Um, and I always say I serve my cider in here, I serve other cider, I serve wine, I serve beer, I serve fucking PBR in it most times. Because I say I don't want to discriminate between different beverages. You know, mm. I think that a, a glass with a focused nose is going to give you, give each beverage a kind of equal shot at, 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 at you know, kind of uh, perking up your senses or whatever. So we serve everything in one glass. And then also I, I don't, you know, we're, it's called the cider hole, but we serve beer, we serve wine, we serve rhubarb wine made from 100% rhubarb. We serve, uh, we've, in the past we served 100% quince wines. Um, when I open up the new location, one of the reasons I don't stock a lot of stuff here is I just don't have the room for it. But when we're at the new bigger bar, uh, I already have selected um, a blueberry wine. That's one of the best beverages I've ever drank in my entire wow, life. Wow, sounds amazing. Uh, it is, I think it's, bre- it's, it's it has some bret in it, some bretomyces, right. and it's like beautifully dirty. You think, what, whatever you think a blueberry wine should be, this was not, is not it, and it's 10 times better. Wow. Um, there's um, some wonderful cherry wines from um, Germany that I have in mind um, that drink, drink like the world's most intense Sauvi- uh, Cabernet Sauvignon. Uh, there's even there's a really nice sparkling strawberry wine you can get here in um, in England. I'm not gonna maybe, not gonna name any names. <laughs> Some people can't can, can't beat me to it. But there's all these incredible fruit beverages. Again, going back that like people misunderstand all these different fruits and how you know how they're made, how they can be turned. And uh, you know, it's one of those things where it's like you, you get both sides of the coin. You know, I met a guy at a party one time and he was making conversations like. I guess I was drinking wine or something at the parties, making conversations like, did you know when it says like, there's notes of strawberry and cherry, that's not actually, there's not actually the fruit in the wine, it all comes from the grapes. And I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go talk to someone else because you're a fucking idiot, you know? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, some people do think that, mm-hmm. they think, oh, you know, oh, notes of strawberry, because they think maybe there's some fucking strawberry is- extract in there. Uh, but the flip side of that, it's like, you know, you'll tell someone, oh, this is like a 100% strawberry wine. They're like, oh, so you mean it's like, you know, wine with strawberry. I'm like, no, it's all strawberries. Yeah. You know, it's a, things like that. So um, it's just about about trying to to put all of these different fermented beverages on on equal equal footing, um, and just get again getting people back to understanding the connection about between these beverages and not what separates them apart, mm. and not why oh I'm a you know saying I'm a beer drinker versus I'm a cider drinker isn't that different from, from saying you know, I like Budweiser versus I like Miller Lite. You know, it's like, it's, it's just drawing arbitrary boundaries for the sake, it's, it go, it's the same as, you know, oh, I, smart, I smoke Marlboros and I smoke Parliaments. You're both fucking giving yourselves lung cancer. Like, the, you're missing the point of this conversation, yeah, you yeah. know? Let's think about what you're actually doing. You're mm. consuming fucking nicotine and you're consuming a cancer, you know, a, a, a carcinogen, not to judge people who smoke. But I think having that battle is over, is, it's, it's, it's kind of justifying a certain ignorance, yeah. you know? And I think saying that I'm a beer drinker versus I'm a cider drinker, you're justifying your own ignorance, which why would you do that, yeah. you know? <laughs> so you alluded to um, moving out of uh, this 
Cheetol as you put it. <laughs> no, I, put it, put I don't it think it well. It's a joke. It's not, if, if, if it sounds like a shithole, it's a joke. <laughs> yeah. yeah uh, sorry, I meant shipping containers. I love my bar, <laughs> yes. I love my cider hole. Um, so. So, you're moving out the, so you're thinking of moving out the shipping, shipping container yes. um, into Orchard Square, which is quite an apt name, actually. Yeah, um, yes, exactly. Yeah. You know, it's, it's ironic because the um, the... One of the bars that was a big inspiration for this place is a bar that's also now out of business in the, in the uh, U.S., which why all, oh, I'm highly inspired by things that go out of business is probably not a good sign, but it was called Wasail. Uh, it was the only like 100% cider bar in New York City, um, almost 20 draft, line, draft lines of cider, incredible place, a huge wine-like list of cider. Anyways, it was on Orchard Street, and I was, right. I'm like, oh, that's uh, that's interesting. Like, no, it's just a coincidence. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Same thing. We're moving into Orchard Square. Yeah. It's just a coincidence. But yeah. well, just to paint a picture for any listeners who might be thinking, oh, that sounds like a rather plush, nice place. It's, uh, it's... yes, no, it's an outdoor <laughs> shopping mall. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's, yeah. there's not a tree inside, I don't think. But um, I mean, that move at this particular time, economically speaking, um, just with the climate here in the UK like right. how, how do you feel about that and have you seen over the last I guess since you know lockdown has ended and we're in this crazy new world like have you how have you seen um what's it been like here you know and how do you feel that's going to translate when you go to a bigger venue right uh, what what I'd like to speak about is that I, I'm I'm nervous of course not just for the economic issues but opening a new business in general like mm. and and the thing is look like when you're trying to, I, I consider this, you know, not to self-aggrandize myself, but I consider this place a bit more, almost more of a movement than a bar. You know, yeah. I always talk about, one of the things I always say in here is like, I hate to use the words education and bar in the same sentence, but that's, that's part of it. You know, it's part of being the learn. So you're, you're always taking a risk when you're, you're trying to create a trend, not, you know, not take advantage of one. And along those lines, with the economic climate, is there's a term in the, in the beverage industry and in, uh, all the industries, I'm sure, premiumization, premiumization mm. right? Uh, where is if you can get people to trade up to more expensive goods, that's where that's where the money's at. Yeah. Um, the the moral of that, I think, is that there there's always a market for premium goods um, because people want better stuff, don't yep. they? Right. People want to save money, and that's fine. Um, especially in the UK, people in New York, Yorkshire, people want to save money. But people also want to get. If you can get the best goods, you you want you prefer those, right? Um, and I think even the idea of premiumization. Uh, a lot of times it's a scam, you mm. know, it's people, it's, it's Budweiser trying to get you to buy Bud Select. It's, you know, Carling trying to get you to buy what's their, their like Carling Gold or something. Yeah. Fucking fancier Carling. It's, it's like, like that Simpsons meme visit with the Duff where it all goes into exactly. like three different yeah, three, three tubes all go into different <laughs> it's, it's a bit of a, a scam. Um, and so, you know, that's trying to take advantage of a trend, mm. right? But if you're actually offering premium goods that people can't get anywhere else, they've never tried before, and say like, like, look, I, this is not a scam. This isn't me taking, you know, Duff and selling it as Duff Premium to try and make more money. This is me saying these are there's artisan producers out there who are are making a wine quality product and aren't getting the money they deserve for that product. And if we can get people to like this product and be willing to pay more for it. Like not only do you get a better product, but I, you know, I get to support these makers and they get to earn a living. They're fucking farmers, you know. These people are supporting the environment. They're supporting trees. 
Um, supporting trees, that's the dumbest thing I think I've ever said. They're, they're, <laughs> they're supporting. There for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> 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 they're, but you know what I'm saying. They're, 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 you know, they're, they're, they're you know, cre- continuing this tradition of, of growing these, these apple varieties um, and perpetuating, you know, all these unique uh, cultivars of apples um, and this tradition of cider making. Um, and so, you know, am I scared that people, when people come in here, and they see the pricing of all these things, and they say, you know, oof, like, I, you know, I, I can't afford this. I'm like, you, you, what, what I, I know I don't say this out loud, but I'm thinking it's like, you're not prepared to make that judgment yet because you haven't drank this yet. Mm. You know, it's like, if you don't know what you're paying for, uh, you can't really ju- judge the pricing on it, you know what I mean? And I think that's the thing, a lot of people, um, once they once they try it and realize, oh, like this is something worthy of of a premium price point. Um, once they get understand the stories, once they understand what what we're trying to do here, um, I'm not fucking getting rich. This this bar has lost money in the two years I've been here, um, and the fact that I'm moving to a larger place isn't you know in theory. If this place loses money, I'm going off to lose more money. Ten, you know if I'm but it's it's about moving forward with the passion of it and um and thinking that you know we we will hit that tipping point um where this the 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 plan isn't to get rich the plan is to make this all sustainable yeah i think one of the things that over gets over, gets overlooked with the idea of sustainability is sustainability as a concept needs financial sustainability as well um and i think that's that's again just try there's so much of these like thought processes, you, you just have to like sort of retrain your brain to think about like, what, what am I really trying to accomplish here with, with, um, with, my, with my dollars, sorry, not dollars, with my pounds uh, and my drinking, mm. you know? It's like, if I'm gonna fucking get liquored up on alcohol, like I might as well, you know, do it for a good cause, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, suppose that goes back to what you've seen about White Lightning, like cider as a category, having a, a branding problem, so to speak, here in the UK, where people automatically associate um, cider with the lowest common denominator. Right. When actually, you know, that cider took a whole lot of effort. <laughs> to, yeah, yeah to of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all the rest of it from residents in the city, and um, and you know, the, the value of it far exceeds reaching onto a supermarket shelf to get something that's just. No, and I have this discussion, I don't, again, I don't want to name any names, so I was talking to a, a cider maker and they were saying, oh, one of the things they said is you, you can't charge more than X per liter for cider. And I'm one of those people, the word can't isn't in my fucking vocabulary. Uh, and I'm like, well, well, why can't you? It's like, well, that's what people are willing to pay. That's the most people are willing to pay. And I'm like, well, you know, you know I told them, I'm like, well, fuck that. Literally, like, you don't, like... What, what, what's stopping you from charging more? If, you're, if your time and effort is worth more than that, charge fucking more than that. And again, it, it's not about, you know, it's not about premiumization as a scam. It's about valuing your time and your mm. product. And like you said about, about the produce, it's like when I go out for apple, I'm going out and, and picking apples. You know, it's like I love, I love craft breweries like, you know, like Day is my favorite craft brewery. They're not going out and fucking harvesting their own malts, you know? It's like, you hear somewhere like Cloudwater talks about, you know, oh, we, we traveled to New Zealand to hand select these hops or whatever. Yeah, but you didn't pick the fucking hops. I picked my own fucking apples, you know? <laughs> so if you're gonna charge fucking, you know, 80 quid a case for, tw- for 24 beers or whatever, what's stopping me from charging whatever the fuck I want from apples? I picked myself, I grinded myself and sat in a, it takes time too. That's, mm. that's fucking been sitting there since October, you know? This is storage and time. I'm paying rent on this place. 
You know, so it's like, this is, you know, I'm a small maker just trying to get by. Um, so, so yeah, I think it's about, you know, just saying, you know, I, I'm not here to fucking rip people off. I'm here to try and, you know, to, to just get, get, get fair money for the, the effort I've put into it. That, that's how most of these small sites, that's not, not most, probably all of them are, you know, they're all underpaid. You know, I see these yeah. guys. So it's just like, um, so yeah, it's about trying to, to turn that, uh, turn that corner. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's been amazing having you on the podcast this week, Mike. Um, I, Is that I, it? I've just gotten started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, la, la, last question then. Um, where, where do you see for artisan produce, whether it's, I guess, anything, you know, whether it's cider or beer or even chocolate or whatever, where, where do you see all that going over the next five years or so, maybe even longer? Right. I mean, I... It's a tough question to answer. I, I think I, it's a bit. I'm a bit nervous for mm. for it in general. Um, I think one of the things, um, going back to beer as an example, and I think it's something that your listeners could relate to. You know, there was a time where it's like every year, it's like what was the big thing in beer this year? Uh, well, you know, IPAs went from, from you know became hazy or uh, brute IPA for a while brute IPA was a thing <laughs> even simple things like there was a time when um, uh, back I'm old I'm 43 but you know there was a time when uh, Hefeweizens were really trending wheat beers were really trending Berliner Weisses gave way to Gosa's and yep. we've, we've been through all those trends and it's been a few years now and maybe the pandemic has a bit to do with it um, maybe not but it's like, well, what's been the big trend in, in, in beer recently? There hasn't been much. Mm. At least it doesn't seem to be coming as fast and furious as it did with, you know, DDHing and pastry stouts <laughs> yeah. and all that stuff. It seems to have slowed. And you do reach a point where, you, you know, it's, again, just like I don't like to say can't, I don't like to say it's all been done before, but you kind of reach a point where, like, well, what is next? And also, like, when are we being organic about our progression? When are we forcing things down mm. people's throats um, with, like, you know, Cold IPAs, or which are basically yeah. just a new name for um, for what was it uh, like uh, hopped lagers or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah exactly. India Pale Lager. Yeah, yeah, IPLs exactly. Cold IPA, yeah, same fucking shit. Um, so, I mean, this is why I'm trying to find new space. You know, it's like where can we keep people excited about this conversation? And as it gets harder um, on somewhere like beer, I think it, it does get easier to get into these um, these supplemental categories like cider, like fruit wines. Mm. Um, I think there's a lot of hybrid beverages that might get people excited. Um, there's also the larger trend, uh, I mean, you said about products in general. Um, I mean, I was with alcohol specifically, there's a trend that people are drinking less, yep. which definitely makes the category a bit more of a struggle. Um, and then in general, I do think even beyond the current economic climate, which is dire globally and especially dire in the UK, um, younger people are in tougher economic spaces than older people. Uh, so what's gonna happen there? It's like, again, I, I, I do feel, one of the things, you know, Sheffield's a big student city and I genuinely feel bad, one of the things I wanna change in the new spot, genuinely feel bad of not having, not being able to sell these things at price points where young people can, can learn about them because that's really the future of, of, mm. of, of artisan products. So the, the disconnect between um, premium products and, and people in their 20s is really scary because they're the future of, of these products, of artisan products, oh, you know? absolutely. I mean, I used to go out drinking to the Devonshire Cat, which is long gone now, yeah. um, a, a casualty of the pandemic. 
but you know when I was like 18 drinking Aberdale moonshine you know and, and having my first real ale experiences in that pub right and you know um, having moved on from drinking Tetley or Caffrey's or whatever <laughs> right. the smooth flow was on tap and you know, obviously, it's stuck with me to the point now where I'm sat here opposite you talking about craft beverages. Yeah, yeah, right. Say, you know, for um, for students now, if 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 they yeah they can't afford it, they're not exposing themselves to those experiences because the you know I don't want to stereotype, but there's so much entertainment on your phone these days. Right. Why go out? Um, you know, it's it's. I mean, that that said, I think I think kids kids people in their twenties are. Are more knowledgeable than we were. I think they um, they clearly have access to more knowledge as well. I think they're probably uh, more open minded. There's like so many pros they have that put them in a better position than we were in our twenties. Mm. Um, and the fact that they are in many ways financially cut out from some of these experiences that they could really benefit from is, is troubling. And at the risk of getting like pseudo political, uh, it's like yeah, I think we need a more of a you know rising tide mentality. Um, to to get uh, to just find some more financial balance um, yeah. in, in the UK and globally, so interesting times ahead. Yes. So how, how can people come and taste your awesome cider and hang out? <clears throat> right. Well, um, so the cider hole uh, is here where we're sitting. Um, we are open. Uh, let's. Well, I'll just touch on. Because it's a small bar, uh, we are only definitely open two days a week. We're open Friday nights and Saturday from 2 to 11. Um, but we also open random days throughout the rest of the week. Uh, if you go to isthesiderholeopen.com, <laughs> which is our official website, uh, inspired by the pandemic when you didn't know where places were open, you look on social channels, you couldn't find anything, or there were differing stuff. So, um, and you can, if you want to come and just hang out with me, uh, you can shoot me an email. And I will, oh, if I'm free, I will open and come drink cider with you. I don't fucking care. Um, so that's a possibility. You can follow us on all socials. We primarily use Instagram. Uh, we're also on Facebook and Twitter. <laughs> um, <laughs> don't, don't go there. <laughs> I, I could, sorry, I couldn't even get out of my mouth. Uh, uh, the Cider Hole, at The Cider Hole is all of our social handles. Um, and we will be in this space um, operating as normal until at least the end of May. Uh, probably into the beginning of June, but we will be shutting this bar. Uh, 99% sure of that. Come, um, we won't be open past June. Right. Uh, so if you want to see the original cider hole in all its glory, uh, get here sooner than later. Um, the official cider release party for our first two of three ciders will be, um, which reminds me, you never tasted your other cider, <laughs> will be on the 24th and 25th of March, and we'll be serving our own ciders directly from the fermenters here um, for at least a few weeks after that before they will be packaged at some point and then they will be available at retail and, uh, and some bars around the city. Um, very limited last year. I think we were at about five or six different right. places, but you could get them everywhere from um, Beer Central in, in the Moor to um, out to like, uh, I think the Beer Stop in Dron Dronfield had some. Uh, we were the only cider for a bit at St. Residential Tap Room which we're very proud of. So you can get them some other places as well. Awesome. Brilliant. Well, thanks for being on the show. Yep. I'm going to hit the stop button and try that the side. Yeah, yeah, of course. Well, it's that time again at the bar for another week of the Hot 4 podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, and all other good platforms. 
Be sure to visit hotforward.beer to find out how we can help you get ahead in the brewing and beer business. Remember to follow us on social media at Hot Forward Beers and for another week. Cheers.